0: The reading this morning is taken from Nehemiah chapter 9, and it's 493 in the Pew Bibles. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs were the Levites. Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Bani, Sherabiah, Bani, and Kenanai, who called with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherabiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. It's, it's almost Cripple Sunday, isn't it? There's crutches everywhere. <laughs> I caught mine off Dr. David Re- Roach. But thank you for the privilege of speaking this morning. I pray that it's God's word, because it's he who has to speak to us, not Robin Oak. You've just heard that reading. It's a great reading, isn't it? Especially if you get the names right, which I'm sure you did. <laughs> Israel lived with a history a wonderful history of being God's chosen people what a privilege they had and a dreadful history of being interned as slaves in Egypt then a history of release from years of being in the wilderness as such away from God slaves and doubting their god then a history of restoration in their own land and a a history again of turning against god a history of being in the wrong country and then a history where their own city capital city jerusalem was in ruins And as we discover through Nehemiah's diary, as we've been doing over these last few weeks, there is this great history of restoration, not only for them, but for us. The ebb and flow of the Israelic life is similar to our own, is it not? We have our own ups and downs. Life is a bit of a roller coaster. And so often we're down far too long when we should be up And sometimes when we're up, we don't see the dangers and we go down. Isn't it wonderful that we have a God who understands us? Linking Nehemiah with Ezra, and we must do that, we focus on his great ministry. And in the previous chapter to that which was read this morning, chapter 8, we read of Ezra, a godly man, reading the law, God's law. He read aloud from Daybreak till noon, and the people listened attentively. Boy, if we read for five minutes, we find it difficult to attend. I was told once, in, in, if I ever preach in the Church of England, six minutes is your maximum. <laughs> well, you've got more than six minutes this morning. Surely we give God much more than that. There's so much for us to listen to. So Nehemiah reading the scriptures, Ezra reading the scriptures, people listening to the scriptures, it actually began a new phase in their history of getting right with God. When the people of Israel came back from exile in Babylon, their spiritual appetite was very weak. They departed from God and his ways. They lived, if you like, of holding their fist against God to think that they should be taken away like that, as if they couldn't worship God where they were. Of course they could. And we know, of course, that Daniel is a great example of that. To get the people back on track, Nehemiah organized a Bible seminar as seen in chapter 8. The people's appetite for God's word was so stirred that the family leaders, the priests and the Levites, met with Ezra the following day to study the word in greater detail because they wanted to re-understand. Now, I hope that every day we take the scriptures, read them, and understand. They're not always easy to understand, but I believe that daily reading of God's word is the only strength that we need to get going under the Holy Spirit. When we feel estranged from God, and all manner of things can trigger that, our own ill health or the family, bereavement, an accident, sleeplessness or boring work, friends letting us down and so on, we actually can find the refreshment we need with God in and through his word. Do you remember that chorus that those of us who've got grey hair will remember, I'm sure? Lord Jesus, break the bread of life to me as you broke the loaves beside the sea and beyond the sacred page. Lord, I seek you because my spirit pants for you the living word. Oh, that we might pray that prayer even every day. But in chapter 9 that we've concentrated on this morning, the Israelites confess their sins. The word by the Holy Spirit has touched their hearts and minds. And we've read the depth of that confession. The Israelites gathered together, fasting, wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. I don't think any of us have got dust on our head. We probably washed our hair this morning. But the spirit is there of complete obedience to God and being broken because of that lack of concentration on God's word. They confessed not only their sins, but also the sins of their forebears. It actually meant real brokenness. And for us, bowing heads in shame before our Heavenly Father. What was it David said in Psalm 51? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. I wonder if sometimes in our confession we're still saying, well, we're all right, instead of saying, Lord, I'm not all right, unless you are filling us with the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Israelites were experiencing in their renewed history an example for us to get and keep right with God. What happened then, maybe what five or six thousand years ago is as topical today for us here than ever it was. The scriptures are topical. We need to know that. It's not just because it happened then that it won't happen to us today. We live in a nation where the truths of a Christian country have been eroded. I can remember as a police officer back in 1967 when suddenly we began to realise from some new law there about abortion was breaking away from the Holy Scriptures. And ever since then there's been an erosion Even senior members of the church are straying away from scriptural principles. You will have seen that at this debate which they've had this last week down in London. It seems incredible that they don't look at scripture and use scripture as the basis of the law. But we don't want to blame them. We need to pray for them. And just as the Israelites in Nehemiah's day were confessing the sins of their fathers, we need to do so too. How much do we pray for our nation and for our politicians and for those who have any sort of sway over what goes on in our community, the local councils? We need to pray for them too. And what about more at home? It's so easy, is it not, to blame others. Or the spiritual dearth that we might have and we've just gone through a doubting period have we not in our church here we point our finger at the youth of the day at others who we find too hard to get on with we criticize the national health service the long waits for doctors appointments and so on for local shops and their prices we despise family members But remember this, every time we point a finger at anything, there are three fingers pointing at us. Lord, are we the ones who are actually wrong? Are we the ones who are failing in our ministry, in our prayer life for other people? Wonderfully, Isaiah records this in chapter 43. I blot out your transgressions and wonderfully, listen to this, I remember your sins no more. Boy, do I treasure that. We don't need to remind God of things that he's already forgiven us for. We don't need to be doubters, because that's when Satan gets in and undermines our faith. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through his word, creating faith in him. What a wonderful hymn that is. So that's what we started with, getting right with God, I think we ought to now ask how we're getting going with God because before confession we have to repent to feel sorry to be sorry and to regret the sins that we've done or regret something which we should have done and haven't contrition leads to confession in one of the early churches where Chris and I used to worship Our minister was Frank Cook. Some of you may have heard of Frank Cook. Frank was not only a great pastor and a great Bible teacher, he was a renowned speaker, and he had so many invitations to speak at anniversaries in other churches. And this particular Saturday, he was preaching at an anniversary service in Cheen Baptist Church. Frank was introduced great welcome because of the great Frank Cook who we've got here today and Frank stood there at the pulpit and he took up a glass of water and he said I have nothing for you what a brave man he stood there in complete silence and I guess like you you're waiting to hear what's going to come next and I guess they thought well this is Frank Cook He's got something to say, but Frank just stood there. Nothing happened until a fellow right at the back of the church stood up and he said, I used to sit at the front, and as you know, I'm the church secretary. The church secretary and the treasurer who's sitting over here, we had a terrible row a month or so ago. We've never got it right, and he walked from the back across to the front went and shook this man's hand, and in a moment they were holding each other and hugging each other and getting right with each other. As they did that, somebody else stood up and said, oh, I've had a row with so-and-so. And And it began a whole movement through that church in Cheam. And Cheam Baptist Church actually began what was a completely new revelation of what God can do. Talk about reformation. That's Cheam Baptist Church Because Frank Cook, the great preacher, said nothing. It was God who was speaking. What you ought to say now is, Robin, shut up. (laughs) I've got one or two other things to say yet. Honest confession precedes worship. Because we cannot have a right relationship with God if we're protecting certain sins in our life, or even in those which we moan about and which we tend to blame others and ignore. Back to Nehemiah, many prayers and speeches in the Bible include that summary which we've already heard of Israel's history because individuals did not have their own copy of the law. We're so fortunate, are we not, to have the scriptures, Old and New Testament, they're so relevant today. The summary of God's past works reminded the people then and should remind us of God's heritage and his promises. Look at Psalm 85. Lord, you forgave your iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. Restore us again, Lord. Revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. Where's, uh, what? Psalm 85 is saying, what you did for them, do for us. Help us, Lord, to believe that you can and you can make us what we ought to be. So I think it's essential to remember our history as well as to avoid repeating our mistakes so that we can serve God the better. I believe reviewing our past helps us to understand and recognize where we went wrong, but not to remind God of our sin, but to remind ourselves that God has forgiven that sin. I read the other day of a custom in the, amongst the American Indians to give a gift and then to take it back again. That's very strange, isn't it? It's called Indian giving, apparently, and quite prevalent in the West of the United States. But it said to me something else. This is what we often do with God. We say to him, Lord, full surrender. I give myself wholly to you. Then we modify it by continuing in our own way surely commitment must be on God's terms which is full commission full surrender full submission and I believe if we don't do that then we're only half hearted as Christian folk we're half powered the fuel's running out if we're not careful We learn from past experiences so that we become the people that God wants us to be. Just as it was saying to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was not only a builder of the walls. He was a man who, by his example, enabled others to believe in the God that they had once forgotten. God's patience is absolutely amazing, I believe. Our repeated failings and his continued forgiveness remind us of how great our God is. I also read the other day of Tim Gustafson. He said this, God is not wanting us to blow it so he can pounce on us. He's in the business of grace and forgiveness and restoration. We need only to recognize that our sin is neither cute or excusable. So we come to him in faith and repentance And then there's no condemnation because we are in Christ Jesus. That's terrific, isn't it? God's patience is something beyond our imagination. But I think realizing the extent of God's forgiveness should help us to forgive others. Oh, these things that go on so long. In Cheen Baptist Church, that's what's holding them up. And if we're not careful, it holds us up. Do you remember Jesus said to Peter, forgive 70 times 7. And there isn't a 78th time. He's actually saying you keep on forgiving. The Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. If you read on beyond that, in the last two verses of chapter 5 in Matthew, it says that God can't forgive us unless... We forgive other people. That seems very strange. But I'm sure the Lord Jesus was saying our relationship together, Jesus and ourselves, is only right when we're forgiving others as He forgives us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It actually means that God will forgive us in the proportion that we forgive others. Are we limiting God? Are we forgiving people? Are we people giving as well as getting? So getting right with God is receiving his heart and it's a way of keeping in step with the Spirit. The history of Israel lives on, of course, and it's on the agenda at the moment in the United States, as you know. Our history goes on. Personal history and the history of Christ church. Much of Israel's failing history was caused by their selfishness. Wanting to look at number one. Seeking wealth. Seeking land. Seeking their own way. And disregarding what God wanted of them. I believe as a church, Nehemiah is saying to us from God, get right with him. Walk with him. Understand his way and go it. It'll be a growing church. As we give ourselves to him. So don't let's fall in the same trap that Israel did. Having been continually forgiven. They were trying the patience of God. They experienced his peace and forgiveness and renewal. And yet still they began to slip away. And I think the challenge to us from Nehemiah. Is to hold on tight. As he holds on to us. Father. Forgive them, said Jesus on that cross. That is the whole, it's not just an emblem. It is an empty cross because Jesus has risen, but he was forgiving those people, the very people who nailed him there. His forgiveness for us is just as strong. So as forgiven and therefore privileged people, we need to serve others as we seek his way. No more self-indulgence, but a life of service, so that through that attitude and practice, many others who don't know his forgiveness and life may see what we have in action. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Please accomplish in us today some new work of loving grace unreservedly lord have your way father as we sit here this morning as your word permeates our spirit as your forgiveness has been reckoned this morning straight from the cross we pray heavenly father that our hearts may be broken when necessary That we may know your forgiveness, and not on our terms, but on yours, we may be powerful people, filled with the Spirit, usable in our neighbourhood, amongst our colleagues, amongst our family, that Jesus is Lord. And we pray in his name. Amen.